Our guest this episode is a professional pianist currently residing in the San Francisco Bay Area who performs around the Bay with his trio, as well as with a long list of other accomplished musicians. He's also an adjunct faculty member of the Jazz Department at Sonoma State. He teaches piano privately to children as well as older adults, and he composes and scores music for film. He loves all kinds of music. He has a BA in economics, attended Berklee College of Music in Boston, and has a master's degree in jazz performance from the New England Conservatory of Music. I feel really fortunate to have gotten to know our guest during our conversation as he shares his heart and wisdom so generously through both his words and his playing, which we get to hear some of. He is also strong in the empathy department. I really appreciate that. We're so pleased to welcome to the show, Ken Cook. Welcome to Meaningful Musical Conversations, where we have heart-to-heart talks about music and life. I'm Jill Minier. And I'm Daniel Townsend. How are we all doing today? Thanks for uh, tuning in. Today we have Ken Cook in the building. Thanks so much for coming out. Came My all the pleasure. way down from Marin. So thanks for taking the time to come out. My Appreciate pleasure. It. Very happy to be here. Yeah, and just so people know, um, Ken is a instructor at Sonoma State, so I've had you in a couple courses, taking your uh, piano course, your jazz piano course, which has helped me a ton by the way, and uh, you and Jill have met as well. Yeah, and I, let's see, I think the first, well, I've been hearing about you for a while from both um, Daniel and also from Talon, mm-hmm. I'm off, and um, so then I, I met you at Hotel Healdsburg, uh, you were playing the piano, and I believe... On New Year's Eve. Yeah. <laughs> this this year, not, not too long ago, mm-hmm. just within a month. Yeah, that was really fun, so yeah. I had the opportunity to, to actually meet you in person, and... Um, ask you to be on the show and yeah. so here we are yeah yeah thank yeah. you well thanks for having me <laughs> i wanted to talk to you real quick just yes. to start so first of all ken is just an amazing pianist and can do whatever you're too and kind no I'm, I'm seriously like blown away by you <laughs> at all times i'm just so grateful to be in your classes and to be learning thank from you. you so thank you um so I read through your bio a little bit, mm. and I was curious just about kind of the musical culture that you grew up in with your mother who taught, right? So mm-hmm. your mom taught piano, mm-hmm. and you were kind of aged like, I think I read you were at age four when you started kind of getting into it a little bit. Yeah, more. I was pretty young. I mean, I, yeah. there's a piano in the house, and my mom taught my cousins and, and neighbors, and, and um, yeah, so just, I, you know, I think when my mother was growing up, it was at a time when there was a piano in the house. In everyone's house, you know, mm-hmm. either a piano or uh, an accordion, mm-hmm. and um, so I think she grew up playing the piano, and I think that's something that at that time proper women did, you know, and I, I think you, <laughs> which you know, maybe didn't do it for enjoyment. It was just mm. something you do. It was part of your yeah. the, uh, the the culture at that time, and then I think by the time, you know, I'm kind of a product of the late 60s and 70s, it was, you could take music a little further. It wasn't just about doing because it was proper. Mm-hmm. Right. But I really connected with music, and I don't recall a time in my life of ever not playing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, you talk to people who started when they were, you know, maybe picked up a guitar when they were 12 mm-hmm. or 13. It's kind of strange to think I, I don't ever recall not playing the piano. But the culture in the family, my parents, you know, we played a lot of music and, or they, they, you know, we had an old record player and they would 
bring home a, a really crazy assortment of, of records, 45s and a lot of stuff on vinyl. And, you know, like like, like the Ballad of the Green Berets or something <laughs> like that. Really strange stuff, which I think was a hit at the time. But um, so it was very eclectic. And I think, you know, looking back now, I mean, that's part of my very eclectic interest in music. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm interested in a very wide variety of, of things. But, you know, my, my parents, for the most part, were very supportive. My mother, obviously, because she played um, and wanted to get me into it. But it's not like we weren't one of those families where, you know, we had late night Friday and Saturday parties with a lot of smoking and drinking and, you know, yeah. wild music happening until 4 a.m. It really wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. But I was always, you know, I was always very attached to my turntable and my stereo nice. system and listened to music constantly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a white kid from the suburbs, discovered a whole new universe of... of uh, of music out there that that you know was not blaring from the neighbors' homes, you <laughs> right. know, because if it was blaring, you'd be shut down. Uh -huh. um, so, so, what kind of music? So, actually, just kind of going back to your mom and the piano, and mm. when you started, were you starting with classical? Yeah, I mean, she. I think she tried to teach me for a while, and that mm -hmm. was not, which is usually mm -hmm. the case, not yeah. always so successful. And so they sent me to this woman. Uh, I was living. We were living in Southern California at the time in. Newport Beach, California, mm -hmm. nice. and I took lessons for about a year or two from this woman in in uh, Laguna Beach, who I'm sure was a, a lovely person. I, I look back on that with <laughs> with mixed feelings, <laughs> and you know, learned learned to read and learned chords, and and um, you know, was playing a lot of a variety of things, a lot of classical music, and mm -hmm. a lot of at that time contemporary contemporary oh. popular music. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't into the structure. I wasn't into, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. And so my parents were like, look, you're not practicing. We're going to cut you off. And I was like, okay, good. And the moment they did, I was at the piano full time. Wow. Just That's doing crazy. my own thing and just kind of banging away and writing music. And, and, and that was probably at the age of eight, maybe wow. seven or eight or nine. Oh I just playing, you know, yeah. just, I just love the instrument. But I didn't, I didn't, I think at that time I didn't like the formal structure of it and, mm. you know, doing the recitals and mm -hmm. <laughs> things like that. Yes. Uh, which I think for some people is a lot of fun and I applaud those who were, who were into it because it's, it's good to have that structure. But I was a little too, as a Southern California kid, a little too loose and carefree. And, yeah. 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 Well, it seemed like it seems like that has served you very well. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I, think so. I mean, I'd like to say so, but you know, I do. I look at, I look at folks who've had who endured the structure and the, and the formality of it, and uh, some of those people came out, you know, ahead a little better. And yeah. uh, it took me a while to kind of. I had this weird circuitous route of getting to where I am, and you know, everybody finds their path in, mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Um, but yeah. So your circuitous, circuitous route. Um, mm -hmm. So I was reading in your bio that you first mm -hmm. became an economics yeah. major. Yeah. You, you know, but, but the other part of my family culture was there were people in my family who were quite successful. And, mm -hmm. and so there was this sort of big umbrella mm -hmm. shadow of, you, you know, you're going to go into business and you're going to work, you know, you're going to yeah. create an empire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, when you don't, 
uh, intrinsically or instinctively feel that way. That's hard to, you, you know, A, it's tough to kind of buck the system. Yeah. And B, it's, you know, it's tough to, mm. to kind of strike out on your own. Um, so that was part of, mm -hmm. that was the other part of the family culture, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I see a lot of that today. Mm -hmm. I mean, I teach kids who they really love the music, but you just know that these parents who are sending their kids to study with you, you know that the, if they would be horrified <laughs> if their kids said, hey, you know, mom, I think I really want to be a musician. <laughs> right. uh -huh. they, they would cut you off right there. You know, <laughs> yep. no, more no more lessons for you. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. you're having too much fun. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know, and, and I, think, I think that's actually unique to American culture in, in, in large part. Mm -hmm. um, so again, the other part of this family culture was, yeah, kind of making money and, um, you know, creating empires. And right, and, and that's a very specific definition of success. Because oh, yeah. that is defined as, Yeah, that's, you know, that's, the, I mean, that's the American way. In different ways, you know, yeah, starting, your own, starting your own business or striking out on your own or, mm -hmm. you know, working your way up the, the corporate ladder. And, right. and that just, I don't know, it just did not appeal to me. And I think part of that additionally was, you know, again, kind of being a little bit more, I'd say more of a more product of the 70s. Mm -hmm. That was not what was happening in American culture. People were pushing back because that was the culture of the 50s, really, post-World yes. War II. And people were pushing back saying, no, we don't, we don't want, you know, what the 50s was all about. Mm -hmm. We want you know, uh, freedom. Right. And that, and as a kid, as like a 10 year old, somehow I was like, yeah, yeah. freedom, man. You know, right. That's, that's right. Me want. too. We're, we're from the same generation. <laughs> yeah, I there. think so. And, and don't you think like having grown up in a family where there was that, that level of success, um, that you see, well, at least this was true for me too, that the people in the community are not necessarily that happy that are making that shitload of money. Oh, I see it all the time. You know what I'm saying? There's no question. I see it all the time. I mean, I see, you know, I mean, not to go too far down the road in this, but, um, you know, I see people who were obviously quite wealthy who come up to me after a gig and go, man, if I could do it all over again, yeah. I would, I would have just like, and it's, and that's easy for them to say, it's right. easy for people right. to say, but, right. but I feel, I don't know. I feel, um, I feel sorry for people who you know, they, their story is like, yeah, my dad was a lawyer, and my daddy's daddy was a lawyer, and my daddy's daddy was a lawyer, and it's like, so I'm a lawyer, mm -hmm, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, that was chosen for me, yeah. and I hate it, you know. Yeah. It's like, wow, that really, what a drag, I'm sorry for you, yeah. you know. So, you know, I think I, I was the first of four siblings, and you kind of paved the way for your siblings, and <laughs> I was kind of like, I'm out of here, I'm not, I'm not doing this, you know, and, 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 you know, I had the, the opportunity to um, to live in Boston for I, I studied music out there after I went to college studying something completely unrelated, mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, it was no well, there was no it wasn't a surprise that I stayed for twenty years because I was kind of pushing away from being back in the kind of family culture which you know yeah. I love I mean I had a great loving family and all my extended family. Mm -hmm. Are wonderful people, but I didn't want to be pushed into that. Yeah, yeah. So. Right, you're a free bird. Well, yeah. you know, so I want to hear a little bit more about like that transition from when you know you got this degree in economics, mm. and then what was life like before? Because I read that you got the scholarship, the Chick Korea scholarship, mm. yeah. to go to Berkeley yeah. College of Music in Boston. Mm. So, what was that transition like? You know, it was it was a it was a random light bulb 
moment. I was on, I was a senior in college. It was, it was actually a double degree in accounting and economics, and I was kind of headed down that path of, you know, being an accountant, which is just so funny to think about in <laughs> retrospect. And um, uh, although we, we'll, we'll talk, we can talk about that later. Um, I, was stand, I was involved in music at this small liberal arts school that I went to college in, in uh, Spokane, Washington. And I just happened to be, we were doing a concert, you know, through the, the music department and we were loading some equipment in the music, uh, this big old Victorian house, which was the music department. And we were just on the steps and the music director said, um, there's this high school kid who played in our band um, who was very talented. And the music, we're loading, you know, amps and stuff in the back of the truck. And he goes, hey, did you hear that Jeff got accepted to Berkeley? And I said, no, I didn't. That's great. And he goes, yeah. You should think about it. And oh. boom, light bulb went off. And I, you know, I'd, I'd been listening. Berkeley had a really cool radio program at the time called Live from the Berkeley Performance Center. And I used to listen to that like every Sunday night. It was like, mm. man, what, you know, it, what a dream to, and it would, but it was so off the radar for me. Mm -hmm. But when this guy said that in that moment, you know, these things, I mean, you're young enough, Daniel, yeah, that these things yeah. will happen to you. Totally, where, yeah. Like all the, the, the energy and the forces of the universe are, are just like in that moment in time. It, for me, it was just kaboom. Wow. And I remember going home and, Daniel, this was before the age of the internet. Um, <laughs> oh, scary. I, yeah, I picked up the phone, which may have had a rotary dial on it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I called Berkeley and I was like, I am interested in your program. Can you send me an application? They sent yeah. me an application. I filled it out, sent it in, and within two weeks, and I was a college senior at that time. That's crazy. It, this was like in, in March, huh. February or March of my senior year of college. And I, and I kind of, I had some idea of what I was <laughs> heading into had that not happened to me. But mm. all of a sudden this came about and it moved very quickly and it was like, whoa, this is happening. I'm going to go to Boston. I'm going to study at Berkeley. That's and, incredible. Yeah. So and, and, and then that really changed the course of my life. That's so did you get a full ride? I always kind of like to talk about money because it is such an issue for people. So um, No, I didn't get a full, topic. no, it wasn't a full ride uh, at all. And um, I mean, it would have been fantastic uh, because my parents were like, okay, we'll support you. We'll, we'll make this, we'll help you make oh, this wow. happen. Nice. And then, Great. Nice. Um, but then after that year, I was really interested in returning and they said, you know, we're, we're done. Mm, <laughs> we, got, right. we got other kids to think about, not just yeah. you. You're yeah. out, you know, cutting, we're cutting you loose, um, which was the right thing to do for them. But I, so I stayed in Boston and I wound up studying with these really, really fantastic um, educators that were well-known in Boston at the time. And then, you know, I, at the end of every year, it was like, okay, I think I'm going to go back to California. And then mm -hmm. things just kind of kept moving. It was like, you know what, let me, I'm going to stick around for another year. And it was almost like I was on like a year lease with myself. Like, yeah. okay, let's just do this for another year. Yeah. And then yeah. at the end of the year would be like, oh man, this is too fun. I'm going to stay keep, here. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then 23 years later, you know, a That's wife crazy. and two kids, it's yeah. like, okay, let's do it now. <laughs> oh my God. Um, wow. So it's incredible. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then I went to uh, th that Berkeley was really a huge fork in the road. I mean, there's a big monumental shift in, in yeah. my psyche and my life. And yeah, so what was that like there? Yeah, did, you, did know, you feel like you were leaving anything then. too with with the direction you were going before you headed over there? Did it ever feel like no? You know, the thing that's interesting is that well, what happened was at the end of that year when I realized, wow, I got to make something 
I have to make something. I have to, I'm living on my own here, so I've got I've to get a job. And I ran into somebody that I went to school with who had moved out to Boston and just randomly ran into her in this cafe one day. And she said, um, you know, we struck up this conversation. What are you doing? What are you doing out here? And she's like, you know, I, I just, she, this woman herself randomly had moved out there and, and found work uh, on the accounting team it was uh, for this um, concert series that was happening in Boston, which was a massive concert series that took place right in the Boston Commons, if you have ever been to Boston. Yes. It's mm-hmm. right downtown. And it was like a seven or 8,000 seat venue. They constructed this massive fence <laughs> and then had everybody, you know, um, I saw everybody, you know, Miles and Whitney Houston was just getting her start. Um, I mean, it was, they were all, they were all top notch acts. So, uh, and that was getting a little ahead of myself. So this woman says, I'm leaving Boston. Do you have any interest in this job? And I said, Hmm, you know, I just finished this first year at Berkeley. I need to support myself. Yeah. Let me try it. And so I interviewed, got the job and I was the assistant controller of this uh, you know, basically production company, which was wow. run out of Boston City Hall. Cool. Um, and it was basically just, you know, kind of like uh, balancing a checkbook and writing checks and looking at contracts. And the, the most interesting part of that job was the walking with $50,000 in cash oftentimes Jeez. in a little satchel down to the venue and knocking on, you know, Willie Nelson's door and saying... <laughs> Uh, Mr. Nelson, I have your, <laughs> I have oh, your man. money. That's crazy. How I fun. met a, I met a ton of people that way. It was Pain really, wow. yeah. I met Matheny, Pat Matheny that oh, way, my and, God. and like just had these really. But that was also, you know, really important for me because I was sort of living in two worlds. I was, you know, developing myself as a musician, and you know, had the sort of lingering after effects positively from what I had studied. You know, I wound up, you know, getting getting this nice job that paid my rent and allowed me to live uh, in Boston. And, uh, but it was this sort of uh, crisis of conscience, like, wow, what do, what do I do here? So I did that for a couple of years and managed to see all these great musicians who came through. And mm. I was like, you know, I, this is still, I got to go that way. And I have to push this other thing. So I left that after a couple of years and really just completely went rogue and tried to support myself mm-hmm. full time as a musician, which was probably easier a little easier back then. It's mm-hmm. it's getting so difficult to do that now. You know, living off of fifty dollar gigs. Yeah. Oh my God, I know. Not that the actually that was probably is what we made back then, but fifty dollars went right. a lot. You know, went much further back then. Right. But so and and you were how old at that time when you started? I was to go twelve. <laughs> no, I was probably 24. 22, 23, 24. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, about twenty four, twenty five. I said, okay, I'm done with. Mm-hmm. Getting a real paycheck, yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm going to really try and see if I can do this by just piece, like you know, being on my own and making it happen. And I'll tell you, I mean, I counted pennies and nickels and dimes for a long time yeah. on my apartment floor, just to to, to make the rent and and yeah. uh, eating a lot of bologna sandwiches <laughs> and yeah. But that's a good thing to do. It's important for people to live close to the close to the pavement. You yeah, know? totally. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. It, it's really quite a, an, an education, especially if you didn't grow up that way, you know? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, we grew up... Well, I think even if you... You know, actually, I think it's good for people who 
who grow up with privilege mm -hmm. to then like, got you know, you get cut loose. It's yeah. like, okay, you're out on your own. We're not going to let you fail totally, right. but failure's good, yeah. but get your, you know, get your stuff together, go get a job and figure out what it's like to pay the rent on your yeah. own. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Nice. I totally so, get that. But, and, and, you know, so I grew up, we grew up comfortably. We lived a, you know, a moderate, uh, you know, middle class mm -hmm. life, but you know, my parents had their obligations and, and getting my siblings through college, which was not easy. So they were like, look, you, you've got this, to, you can do this, yeah, you know, so. <laughs> and it's nice when the, when the parents have confidence and faith in you, yeah. that that's yeah. a very supportive kind of attitude and like, yeah. well, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because some parents true. don't, yeah. you know, yeah, they're, no, it's they're very true. scared and, you're going to fail. And, yeah. You know, and, so. and, you know, um, still, I mean, their parents, with kids that age who were still trying to direct, you know, the life of their 27-year-old. Right. And it's like, wow, it's you know, that's the last thing I wanted. Yeah. You know, you want advice, you want support uh, in that kind of way. But you don't want, you know, your mom calling, going, you know what you should do. <laughs> right. Have you looked at the <laughs> job postings? And, you know, right. No, no, no. no. Of course right. not. So. So New England Conservatory. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I just wanted to ask about that because I knew that you got you you got a mm -hmm. degree in um, jazz, jazz performance, performance yeah, there. Yeah. So how, what was that transition like? So that was you know so I'd finished this year at Berkeley. Um, would have loved to have continued, but just didn't have the resources. I really had to work and and kind of make something happen for myself. And I but I managed to study with these really wonderful private educators who were this guy Charlie Benakis, who Charlie taught. You know, he would, Charlie would always say to me, yeah, I'm teaching half the faculty at Berkeley. That was like the pro oh, wow. professors who were wow. teaching at Berkeley, Sweet. they were all studying with him. He was just brilliant. And I had the really good fortune mm. of studying with him for about four years. And he was amazing. Mm. Um, and then there were some other really wonderful people that I studied with that, that I, you know, I learned a lot from. Um, and But then there was something that still, I've, you know, all the, the really cool players, the really creative players in Boston at that time had gone through this program at, at uh, NEC, New England Conservatory. Um, and so I kind of had my eye on that program. I thought maybe I should go for a master's and managed to pull it together and, and uh, <laughs> probably just paid off my loans, you know, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. But it was worth it. It was a great experience. And the juxtaposition of the, of the two schools could not have been... Um, I mean, they were they were less alike than alike. I mm. mean, Berkeley is a little bit of a cattle call in a way. I mean, I, and not to disparage the school at all. It's it was such a great place for me. Um, but you know, you have a high number of people kind of floating through there. Um, a lot of good players and a lot of um, average players. Um, I you know, when I went there, I was a below average player. I, I really was starting from bottom of the bottom. I mean, I, I got there, you know, I grew up in this, this family, getting back to that family culture thing of like, you know, I had cousins and aunts and uncles who were like, oh, you're such a great musician. You, you know, you're fantastic. And I, that, I internalized that. I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happening, you know? And then I went to Berkeley and it was like, oh, oh yeah. my God. I mean, there were some incredible players. And I think Berkeley at the time, and they probably still do, they were really smart about recruiting worldwide. I mean, they mm -hmm. would go to, they would pull the best players, you know, high school players from 
you know, Paris and from Stockholm and all you know, over the world. So yeah. it was very international and it was very high level. I mean, there mm-hmm. were really fantastic players there. So, um, I mean, that was good for me to see that, you know, I had a mountain to climb mm-hmm. in, in trying to get, uh, you know, to a higher degree. So, um, but at the same time, Berkeley was also kind of a, you know, it was a little bit of a cattle call. People kind of going in, you, you all learn your two five ones, and they stamp, you know, you get the stamp of approval, <laughs> and then on to the next thing, and ear training, and all, you know. And it was all good. And NEC, though, was a little more about, um, and, I, and this class, that Daniel, that you're in, you yes. know, I, I sort of prefaced the, the class by saying, because I, I, that was so important to me, this concept of New England Conservatory was really about developing the individual. Mm-hmm. It was more about your creative development. And so I've tried to carry that through in totally. this class that I teach, where it's like, look, I have all these ideas, but I want you to assimilate them into a way that it makes sense with who you are as, right. as, as a you know as a musician and as a person and improviser. Yeah. So, so that program was great, um, and it my ears went from listening to just you know Blue Note era ninth late nineteen fifties to it just exploded and it went from, I, I started strangely listening to a lot of hip hop. Mm-hmm. I listened to a much wider array of uh, what was happening in the jazz world. I got kind of back into listening to a lot of pop and contemporary music. And then I listened to a lot of classical music. So it really opened my ears when I was there just because of the people I was coming in contact with. It opened my ears to a much, much broader Hmm. array of music and that was probably one of the best things that I mean among the many but that was one really significant thing it really because I was such a jazz Nazi you know I just would only listen to jazz if it wasn't jazz it wasn't worth listening to Mm -hmm. and I think that's a mistake you know it's a big mistake personally yeah totally so so that program was was that was a great experience and Hmm. um yeah neat well, actually, I just kind of want to hear about that course that sure. you're taking, Daniel. Mm-hmm. What is the title of the course? It's Noma State. Yep. The title of the course is? Uh, this is Improv 4. Improv 4. Right. Of which I think there, there are only four. There are only four. Yeah. That's right. So it's the um, last and you were in my Improv 1 class. I was. Which was so tough to teach. 17, 18 people in that class, and I always wow. felt bad for you. <laughs> Don't it's okay. I was like, oh my God, this guy's such a good player, and I, I'm making him no. play the minor third on each minor chord that we encounter. I love that stuff. Um, no, I no, love it's, fundamentals, yeah. getting back to yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's important to do. I loved it. But I, I, I could always tell that you you wanted to bust out, and I was like, this guy's, <laughs> this guy's got something to show. No, no, no. Um, yeah. No, but Improv 4 is, improv. is um, and this is a small class. It's Daniel and it's one two. other student. It's yeah. Jack. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and so maybe even Daniel can provide a better, <laughs> even though we've what only had like, two classes. Well, what is it like? Yeah. yeah, so we just started, there's two people, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the coolest things. I love the fact that it can be so intimate and specific to us, and like working through this sort of thing with just two people is really cool. Um, but yeah, like you said, you're, you're kind of going about it trying to help us with our own individuality with the musical thing, which is different from the previous improv courses I've taken. Mm-hmm. You know, that's been more about regurgitation in some way. Not that that's bad, but it is a little different. You know, it's a different approach and it's harder that way almost for me, but I enjoy it a lot more trying to kind of step outside of things. Yeah. Right? That's kind of what we're talking about right now, which is not something I've 
experienced a whole lot of doing yet. So it's mm-hmm. really cool to get mm-hmm. that um, that sort of teaching. Yeah. So is it yeah. focused on jazz or is it like anything that you bring to the table? Do you bring something to the table, in other words, to work mm-hmm. on? And then he could uh, tell me a little bit more about it. I've been kind of pushing more of the, the material, obviously, as an instructor of the class. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to get to a point where we then, after kind of pushing all this material your way, then it's like, let's see how this can be incorporated in the material that you're interested in and or playing you know, right now. So are you, and what kind of material are you, you know, just looking at forward? advanced harmonic and melodic okay. ideas. Yeah. You know, uh, there's an idea called hexatonics uh, mm-hmm. where you take these uh, two uh, similar chord types and you superimpose them over different chord types. Mm-hmm. Um and just looking at different rhythmic ideas and, and you know, looking at uh, John Coltrane's use of, of cycles and mm-hmm. um, just a whole kind of smorgasbord of, yeah. of things like that. And then trying to assimilate that in, in a way that feels like you're playing you. you know? nice. Well, yeah. you know, let's see. I'm wondering, Daniel, when I was over at your house for that songwriting workshop, oh, yeah. w- were those some of the concepts that you were... We've only had two sharing. classes. We're, yeah, we're okay. just getting into classes. this. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, yeah. it's, it's, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's really... How it's, lucky are you? I'm two super students lucky. In the no, class. I'd like... Well, I consider, I consider myself to be the lucky one. You know, teaching mm-hmm. is really... You learn a lot about yourself teaching by encountering, uh, you know, a wide ray, array of students. Mm-hmm. And where they come from and what their background is and what they're interested in. I'm recently, only recently kind of discovering that there are a lot of kids who were in in the classical department because they were turned on to music, the music of the game world. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I'm like, wow, that's so different from how yeah. I came about it. But that's that's great, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, Come to think of it, my 13-year-old nephew who's really, you know, has been very into Minecraft and Fortnite and he's been taking piano lessons for, you know, he lives in the East Coast for, I don't know, five years or whatever. But the only thing that he's interested in really is like playing those melodies and things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of Patrick Bartley Jr., Mm -hmm. but he was really, he started something called J Music and he, he, he's a sax player and um, actually from Florida I met him at California Conservatory um, a while ago. That I saw his band perform. I don't know, maybe five years ago. But anyway, he f- he's like a big jazz person, but he fell in love with the music from anime, mm-hmm. and so right. he's now created this whole career out of like doing arrangements for that like, and performing that. It's kind awesome. of just yeah. yeah, really interesting to see. I mean, those are not games, but um, it's a different, it's a different kind though. of yeah. It's, yeah. So it's really interesting to see like what's going on with all of that kind of you stuff know, and, and how it's, it's and affecting. It's, and it's not new. Mm-hmm. I mean, every gen- every generation uh, has their thing. I mean, there was a guy in San Francisco. I don't know if he's still doing this. Um, who was performing in kind of a larger ensemble setting? The works of I'm spacing his name. I think it's Ron Stallings. Not Ron Stallings. Uh, the guy who wrote, the composer for all of the Warner Brothers uh, cartoon music. Oh, yeah. It, I think it's... Oh, what? We gotta, we gotta, we'll look that up. Yeah, we'll look that up. Um, and Carl Stallings? 
Um, I'll pull it up. And so, it. yeah. And so you have that generation of people who were creating music, recreating the music from the cartoon world that yes. probably interested him as a kid. And then you have people who were interested in recreating the <laughs> the gaming world. Right, right. Um, and I'm sure that, the, you know, so the previous generation, somebody was doing something yeah. similar. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, people find their way into the music world in in unusual ways yeah. at times. Um, so, hmm. Carl Stallings. It is Carl Stallings. Yes. Okay, right. Ron Stallings was a great tenor player in the San Francisco Bay Area, who I think was related to Mary Stallings, who was a one of my yeah. favorite vocalists. Oh, God, yeah. um, do you know Mary? Yeah. Well, oh, I don't my know. God. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know of her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mary yeah. is one of my favorites. I love that woman singing. Oh, a Sunday kind of love, the recording. Oh, yeah. Killer. Yeah, there's a great recording of, of hers from... The first recording that I heard of hers that really turned me on to her music was uh, live at the Village Vanguard mm -hmm. in about early 2000, 2001, 2002, um, with Eric Reed on piano. Oh, God, Eric and, Reed on yeah, piano. Killer, yeah. oh, my God. Oh, he's a great pianist. And these arrangements are, are fantastic. But her voice, man, is just... Yeah. Yeah. So, but that whole, you know, it's just interesting to see how this generation, what, you know, A, what they're interested in, uh, B, what pulled them into the music world, mm -hmm. and C, how are they going to navigate their way into, you know, so what are you going to do with this? Right. <laughs> you know, are you going to seek out orchestras that play game music? Right. Or can you, are you willing to play the music of Charles Ives, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I, I think for the most part, I mean, certainly with younger kids, you you try and reach them where they are. Right. You know, what is it that? What do you like about music? Mm -hmm. How are you? You know, what appeals to you? What are you? What are you listening to? Yeah. Although I'm finding more and more so, you ask that question and they go, yeah, I'm nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it uh -huh. used to be intense. You know, twenty years ago, a kid would go, "Yeah, I have this one record, and I'm listening to it yeah. all the time." And now it's, eh, I, I'm not really not listening, really listening to anything. Well, why are you here? Well, my mom wants me to be. Mm. Wow, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, do we want to like dive yeah, into a conversation about that, yeah. about um, yeah. teaching kids and mm. teaching um, young adults? We kind of I mean, teaching kids, teaching young adults, mm -hmm. and teaching older adults, yeah, yeah. and the differences that you see in your approach and, you know, obviously based on what's happening mm. with those yeah, totally. people. Yeah. In a strange way, I find it all, it's all related, you know, teaching mm -hmm. a 75 year old, uh, and teaching a seven and a half year old, um, you really try and reel them in in the same way, playing simple melodies mm -hmm. first. Hmm. Um, actually with adults, I tend them to, to get them connected Quarterly, so we'll find a couple of you know two chords that that work well with each other, and you vamp on that. I have a drum kit next to my piano at home in Corte Madera, and uh, that's kind of the first thing we do. So we'll find a couple chords, and and you see where people are rhythmically, yeah. um, which is all over the map. Some people have a a great you know natural sense of rhythmic ability, and others. Yeah, I've, I've, I actually teach musicians who've been playing for a long time. They might be in their 60s or 70s. And their concept of, harm, of rhythm is almost non-existent. Really? Um, and it's like, how is this possible? <laughs> and uh, they're all, nobody ever taught me that, you know. <laughs> and so we spend a lot of time doing that. But um, working with, with younger kids, just playing simple melodies uh, and trying to connect with music that way. Playing along with music. 
mm-hmm. which is really, that was the original conservatory back in the day, you know, back in the 20s, 30s, 40s. If you were a musician, you didn't go to the conservatory. You didn't go to music school. You put a 45, you put at that time a 78, mm-hmm. you put a 78 on the record player and you played it until you wore, you know, a hole through it. And yes. you, whatever your instrument was, you, you tried to figure it out, you know, and that was really, that was music education back in the day. So I try and get a lot of my students, both uh, young kids and, and adults, to play along with things. And the technology has made it so much easier. You know, I take my iPad and, uh, you know, connect it through a Bluetooth device and it's yeah. all right there. You know? Right. And now they have like the little thing where you can slow down the YouTube videos. Oh, God. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. It's like, yeah. Which back in the day for us was when I was at Berkeley and transcribed a lot of music, it was this, we had this big Marantz deck which was, you know, 300 bucks to begin with. And then it's, it, would, it had half speed, mm-hmm. but it took it down an octave, Ugh. you know. And so you're transcribing Coltrane, you know, right. you know, was, <laughs> you're writing it down a register going, no, it's up in this register. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's being able to have those features is, is great. Those are great tools. And maybe, you know, for our listeners, if probably most of you do know this, but if you don't, you can slow down a YouTube video by clicking on the three little dots Mm -hmm. and then you can slow it down like 0.75% or 50%. And it's, and it keeps the, um, the pitch, pitch the same. same. And there are a lot of applications, little, little apps that you can put on your phone or your laptop. Amazing slow down app. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think this is new for recent. Yeah, fairly recent for for YouTube. Yeah. Uh, so, so still on the topic of teaching, mm-hmm. um, what I think I've found is a lot of music teaching is kind of like passing the torch along. Mm-hmm. You pick up a lot of different teaching tools and techniques and kind of pass it along, right? Um, I wanted to pick your brain about maybe one of your favorite teachers that you've had and kind of mm-hmm. what you picked up from them. What was like the big golden ticket moment or item maybe that you've picked up along the way? Something that you carry with you Mm-hmm. And you're teaching today. Yeah, I mean, I'd really have to point to this one guy, Charlie Banakis, who was in Boston. And I'll never, I'll, I remember the first lesson with him and I walked in and I, and he was just, he was such a, an oddball. He was such a funny guy. People loved him. He had a great sense of humor. And uh, I walked into his studio and he goes, uh, hey, you know, how you doing? Good, good. I'm so glad you're here. Have a seat at the piano here. Oh, play something for me. And I, <laughs> and I remember exactly what I played. I played this, Horace Silvertune piece oh, and he goes oh wow that's that's great that sounded great you know those voicings are from the 1950s though right <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like okay well that's that's why I'm here and he goes yeah let's let's hippify your voicings a little bit and he wrote out within I mean this guy just was brilliant he wrote out within you know you blink and this guy would write out a year's worth of material for you. So those voicings, were they like four-way closed, the ones from the Well, the, the Bill or? Evans voicings, actually, I'll be honest, uh, full disclosure here, I mean, these are really the, the voicings that I teach in jazz piano skills because they really are a great platform. Mm-hmm. To You have to start somewhere. Yeah. So it's the, it's the you know, uh, yeah, the kind of the four-way closed. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you start pull. you know, you could do drop threes and drop twos and right. drop twos and threes. Um, but you have to start somewhere. Yes, so yes. Those Bill Evans' voicings, the four main, four and B yep. voices. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I started that way. Those were kind of taught at Berkeley and at the conservatory. And But it was a platform from which you then moved on. Yeah. Right. Okay, so I have yeah. like really what I think is a great idea here. <laughs> yeah. I would love, I, maybe we won't do it right this second, sure. but we can um, paste it in. 
um, I would love it if you would play Peace. It's one of my favorite tunes. And you could play it like the old-fashioned way. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. you could like play a more modernized version of it so the listeners sure. could hear. Sure. So Sweet. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, my gosh. So we were talking about uh, this guy that I studied with, that I had the good fortune of studying with, Charlie Bonacus, who passed away five or six years ago, um, sadly. Um, and so that that first experience of just sort of playing for him and saying, "Great, sounds good, but let's let's move in a different direction," um, was you know eye opening, and and certainly that was the reason why I was there. But. The experience when you asked me what was that one big takeaway, the the, yeah. the answer, the quick answer to that question is that the musical universe is just so much more complex and so varied and so extensive and expansive than mm -hmm. than we all imagine, you know. He the first thing that he did was he wrote out this a very long line, kind of in sort of sixteenth note uh, increments. And he said, okay, this is a C major seven bebop line. And it had lots of sharp fours in it, and lots of chromaticism. And he kind of explained a little bit, you know, how it worked and, and why this line works. And it was a long line. And he said, uh, okay, you know, play this in all 12 keys and come back next week. And it, that took, you know, two or three weeks to yeah. really get inside. I mean, you, I had to break it down, you know, by these little 16th note phrases at a time and kind of figure it out and, you know, where was I? And then that probably wound up, it probably took me a month to get through that first one. 
And he goes, and I played it. He said, you know, played it in A flat, and I played it. And he goes, great. And played it in F and G flat or whatever. And he <clears> goes, great. Okay, let's do the next one. And he writes out this line. You know, I kind of blinked and coughed, and I looked back, and he's written out another <laughs> line. I love the and he said, okay, play, you know, play this over C minor seven. Uh, and then play it in all 12 keys. This is, a, this is a C minor bebop line. And it was long and very complicated and, you know, pretty cool. And, um, and of course, you try and take that out to the gig that night and, like, try and use that line. Love and, it. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved it. Yeah. And then, so, you know, That's that great. took another month or so to really get through it. And then we did, you know, minor seven flat fives and dominant sevens and, uh, you know, several different chord types. And we did that for about a year. So I had a notebook that had, um, you know, probably seven different chord types, diminished and half diminished and dominant sevens and majors and minors. Mm -hmm. So after about a year, I showed up to his lesson one day and um, we had, so we'd finished this last, playing this last line, playing in through all 12 keys. And he goes, um, okay, where's she? Show me your notebook with that first line that we wrote out a year ago and I said oh yeah I've got it here and I pull it out and he goes and again I like blink and cough and look away and in the shortest period of time possible he's he had written in red ink above that first line that he'd written a year ago okay now take that line and play it over E half diminished F sharp minor seven flat five play it over E flat major seven play it over B flat Sharp 11, he, there were probably 10 different chords. And the concept was take that simple bebop line and superimpose it over all these other chord types. And that was just the, my head just like crumbled. You know? <laughs> and, and, and I realized at that moment oh the expansiveness of, wow. it, it was just sort of earth shattering. Um, and, so, and then so then we continued on that way. And that was wow. like another two years of just doing that Jeez. kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mm. And how much of that has stuck is, you know, is, is to be determined. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a moment when you, when you realize, yeah, this is endless. And I mean, that's a great thing about being a musician. There's so, there's just, when, just when you think you have it down. Yeah. You don't. No, I agree with that. <laughs> Not even close. I've never felt like that. <laughs> yeah. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. Wow. No, I think I foolishly thought that. Like, I remember taking a train ride out to this other guy that I was studying with right around the time when I was at Berkeley. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I was on this, you know, subway train, mm -hmm. thinking, you know, I think I got this. I think I, <laughs> <laughs> minor seven flat fives, I got those down. Well, diminished chord. You know, I think I got this. I think I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm a jazz musician. <laughs> you know, and I walked in uh, the door of that instructor that day, and he goes, "Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna work on building chords in fourths." And I was like, "What? What do you mean? You know, aren't these all built in third? You know, just yeah. that kind of experience yeah. where yeah. a door opens that you go, I had no idea that door was even there. Yeah, so." A new room in the house. Whoa. New room in the house, yeah. Crazy. A whole level, a whole level that Man. you didn't even know, you know. So cool. So I'm sure there are many other disciplines out there like that. I'm sure that, you know, the field of law is somehow, like, <laughs> who <laughs> knows? You know, the medical world is, you know, but there's always, yeah. and if, you know, if you challenge yourself to, to continue on that path of, of learning, it's mm -hmm. a good thing. Yeah, like really so. going deep with, with one thing. Yeah, and actually even going either deep or then going laterally. Laterally. You know? 
I've been reading this book that, that sort of deals with that. This book called Range by David Epstein, which is really fascinating. And he's kind of countering this theory that we need the 10,000 hours mm-hmm. in, a, in a very you know, sort of narrow way. And this guy's basically saying, hmm, not the best idea. Go, go kind of deep in, in a bunch of different ways and you'll actually be able to kind of problem solve across these different modalities or across these different platforms. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that concept up because I had a discussion once a number of years, many years ago with a woman about <clears throat> spirituality and going... Um, you know, there's so many teachers would say that you have to like just go in this one tradition. If you're a Buddhist, you know, it's like you stay with this one particular mm-hmm. tradition, yeah. even within Buddhism. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, honestly, like I, I used to feel like I, in my life, there's all these different types of tools that I need that are going to help me um, have balance and be present and whatever. And I remember just, you know, having attended, I believe it was a talk with Jack Cornfield, you know, over at Spirit Rock. And hearing him once again, you know, a teacher say, you must use this one shovel and go deep. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking my friend who was actually a Buddhist scholar, she, and I said, you know, well, what do you think about this? And, I, I, you know, I said, from my personal experience, like, I need this, 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 and this yeah. in order for me to go deep. Mm-hmm. And she, yeah. she, and even as she was very traditional in a certain way, she said, you know, well, it's like we're, we just have different tools that we're using to go deep. So mm. it depends on like what what are we trying to reach? And so maybe it's not like what you say going going deep, but it's um, going broad. And I guess it depends on what our our intention is and our goal is. And if it's about mm. um, you know with music, what would you say that you're like? What drives you? I mean, I hear themes of like adventure, expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what would you say are the? That's a good question. You know, I think I don't know you know. For that, me, that it you know, it feels elusive, like I haven't quite achieved it. Although I feel comfortable in in the feeling that I that I'm slowly achieving part of that. But it's a it's a feeling of it's a feeling of kind of liberation and freedom to be able to in that moment paint uh, with sound in a way that you that you mm-hmm. want and not being limited um, and I think that's for me the, the, the continuation of, of just studying and trying to work through all these things out on, on your instrument is a way of getting there so that you can express I mean I um, I don't know I, I guess maybe, well, I think staying with music for a moment, the going broad thing for me has been, I had the great opportunity to go to Cuba a number of years ago, about 12 years ago. And that was kind of life-changing. Mm-hmm. Um, just being aware of a whole new array of, of rhythms that mm-hmm. I, you know, I guess I knew they existed and, and had felt and heard them, but to really look at them closely... It, it was very different, mm-hmm. and then that sound, and and then the the concept of, you know, you take your instrument and you play it. You have a very precise part, and this person is playing a very precise part, and the amalgamation of the whole thing renders this incredible music. And if you listen to each part, you know, somebody's playing on the quarter note, somebody's playing on the half note, somebody's playing on the offbeat, somebody's playing on the downbeat. That combination of all that. Um, is what makes that music great. And you could study each of those parts. You could sort of go 
it's a combination of sort of going deep with that, but also going, you know, wide laterally. Mm-hmm. But I think musically, you know, studying Afro-Cuban music, I play a lot of Brazilian music. Um, I really enjoy working with singer-songwriters. Um, I'm, I'm a product of 70s pop music, mm-hmm. you know, um, both, you know, like the kind of everything from Neil Young to, you know, P-Funk, you know, or the Ohio players, um, which at that time was, you know, the R&B, considered mm-hmm. R&B music, not R&B music of today, but... Um, and playing classical music and, and all of that, which help you, helps you sort of go think and develop a, a broader palette in a given moment can come together to create something mm-hmm. um, that might be different from someone else. I mean, that's your personal yeah. style. You know, you listen to someone's playing and they go, wow, you can, you can, t- you can hear the influence of a little Brazil- Brazilian music yeah. and that person sounds like they've spent some time playing West African music. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's what makes us so cool. each as musicians unique in the same way that a visual artist uh, paints with different size brushes and mm-hmm. different sets of oils and they know how to mix their oils differently than someone else. And that's why their look is different from, yeah, you know. Totally. Yeah. So. Mm, that's the way of putting that. Well, you know, as I hear you say all that, I'm thinking, to me, this may not be your definition, but to me, that's like the definition of success. It's like, when I say success, it's not an end result, but it's it's this, like allowing ourselves to be in that process of exploration, discovery, and what you, I don't know exactly, I can't remember how you phrased it, but being able to, I think you were using the painting analogy, the, the brushstroke, do basically create have the tools and the skills to create mm-hmm. what you want in the moment mm-hmm. and have that level of mastery um and continuing to be you know open and as it's like going to other cultures mm-hmm. and connecting with other humans you know through their rhythms mm-hmm. and it's it's a beautiful thing yeah which i think is a uniquely american thing i think as americans we have <laughs> you know through our sort you know our i guess um you know cultural imperialism in a way (laughs) I don't find I don't know it's interesting I mean I'm not sure um, really how true this is Uh, but you know maybe someone from West Africa who has deep musical roots I find them less often being interested in what we're doing and more interested in and we go out and seek all those Mm. styles of music and we want to know because it's so fascinating to us. And, and, you know, this country certainly has a very, very rich history of trying to create its own music. And there was a period of time in the, you know, I think in the 1800s when there was this movement to really push away from the European, uh, traditional European sound Mm -hmm. and try and create something new. And and people like Charles Ives were very much a part of that Mm -hmm. in creating new music. Um... But, yeah. Mm. But, I mean, you know, I guess just coming from who I am as an American and uh, I, I have that tendency to think that way. Like, yeah, I would love to go spend a couple of years in, in West Africa and would love to go back down to Cuba. And mm-hmm. um, and I've spent time, you know, exploring the music of, of South America. And, uh, 
and I don't know, I, perhaps that's a bad thing. <laughs> perhaps not. Um, but yeah. Well. So we were going to talk about singers. Yes. You're, 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 a, you're a singer. And you brought it up. You're a vocalist. I'm a singer, but I started yeah. out as a pianist mm -hmm. and never even thought of singing mm -hmm. until I was in Bennett Friedman's, Friedman's for, uh, improv class. Mm -hmm. Uh, listeners, who've, if you've heard another podcast, you might have heard me tell the story, but I'll just tell it briefly again. Yeah, and I and we had to improvise like right off the bat. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and just being a classical pianist, I had like I was clueless, and I was just kind of frozen. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I did my best, but my hands were just shaking back and forth tremendously, and I was just, I felt just horrible embarrassment having to do this in front of like you know eighteen and nineteen year old kids and boys. And no girls in the class, and um, which is another topic. But yeah. um, but anyway, yeah. So then I asked my teacher. I said because actually there was this other woman um, that was in. There was another woman. She was six year old. She was there briefly. She left. Um, she was scatting after she did her solo, and I just came up with that idea. Well, gee, you know, because I'm hearing like mm -hmm. things in my head. Could I possibly like do mm -hmm. that? So I asked the teacher. I got my courage and. Asked him if, uh, if after I did my piano solo, could I have somebody comp for me on the piano and just like run up in front of the room and mm -hmm. like scat, scat the things action. that were yeah. in my head because mm -hmm. I don't have the ear training right now mm -hmm. to play what I'm hearing right. and I'd like yeah. to, to like just try it. And so he's like, sure. So that's what I did like for my first yeah. and second semesters in improv class. It's pretty embarrassing. I'm sure the guys, like I saw some guys like go, because this was a couple months into the class, I believe, maybe a month in. <laughs> and some of the guys were like, Oh my God, what's she doing? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, I just like, this thing came inside of me and I was just like, wah, you know, like yeah. letting out these big That's sounds cool. and stuff. Oh my God. But oh, anyway, God. I was less fearless with my voice and uh, that may be embarrassing. But yes, I'm a singer and a, and a pianist and I've come to actually love singing. But let's, let's take, you know, take a look at that topic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what I <laughs> wanted to say is that we, we had a little conversation before our podcast and you were talking about the dirty little secret mm -hmm. and which I already knew exactly what you were going to say because I've been on both ends of the, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, the um, conversation right, right. or the, the situation of being a singer in a band and feeling the vibe, especially from the drummer. And mm -hmm. then, um, although I do understand what <laughs> goes on yeah. with the, with the pianist as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and then, so the dirty little secret being that, how would you like to express that? Well, it's, uh, you know, we're going to break it down. Yeah, audience. we can break this down. We could, you know, I think we should change the way that we define uh, the, the, the way I've always described the dirty little secret is like, Hey, we really don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> you what makes you think you can come in here and just use your voice? Mm. And I was probably one of those guys who vibed out singers, you know, I'm a pretty mellow person and probably, so it was never really strong, but, right. you know, I'd, I'd do the side eye thing with my bass player friend, like, oh, Jesus, she can't sing, you know, and, and um, was part of that, that culture of vibing uh, or, or actually probably better put, because I'm, I'm, I'm not like a viber like that, but probably better put not being supportive, mm -hmm. you know? Right. And part of that was probably two reasons. One... Um, I'm part of a, you know, privileged male culture that, that had training and then, uh, you know, had good opportunities and, 
it the 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 field has been and certainly in in jazz education has been predominantly predominantly white males yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. um and then um number 2 i guess what of of why i was that way for a while was i didn't know what good vocalism could be so I played with people who just like me were just trying to get their stuff together. And I don't know, maybe uh, it, it's that much harder as a vocalist to really develop a, a higher degree of mastery. You know, you learn a couple of chords on a piano and you can sound okay. Mm-hmm. Right. It's hard to really develop good vocal mastery. Um, there's so much more that, that you guys are working on that we have no clue. And so we just expect that every vocalist shows up and that they just hit it and that they're great. But mm, right. the illusion is that that's really hard to do. So my experience was playing with a lot of, you know, vocalists that really didn't have it together. And then... Can you be more specific? Yeah. Like, let's really break that down. I think it's important. And then, because what I'm hoping that we can do in this part of the conversation, and if there are any vocalists out there, um, yeah. I've got your back. No, we both have yeah, your back. No. And we're really going to break I wanna, it down. Actually, I want to make and, it clear right now. Yeah. I really have your back. Totally. If you're a vocalist out there yeah, listening, right. I really have your back. Because mm-hmm. it was, it was um, I was the fool for many years. And it wasn't until I had the good opportunity of, of uh, working with, I worked with this guy from New Orleans. His name is Johnny Adams. This was a long time ago. Um, and went to Europe and performed with him and South America and and this guy could sing and it was like oh my god and and the the needle just went from mm. the left to the right for me um, and what does that so, look like so if you could be which, more which, specific what, what like what when the like? needle moves what are you what could you like what could we observe with well, a video let's, camera I mean, let's here? talk about what yeah. the needle was when the needle's on, oh, yeah. the, on okay, the other good. one <laughs> you know vocalist what's difficult and again I'm playing an instrument that I don't have to I mean Daniel you have a, you play guitar you've yep. got to tune your instrument and sometimes your instrument goes out of tune and yeah. you probably know it and you yeah. know, you're know you constantly trying to make that adjustment. I never have to deal with that. I might start with a piano that's not in tune. <laughs> but if I'm fortunate, I show up to the gig and I've, I either have my keyboard that's tuned um, or I'm playing a piano that's tuned or not in tune. But I, I'm not thinking about that. Kind of, I'm yeah. not pulling out a tuner's <laughs> tool and getting inside the piano during the set break. Right. And tuning, that's, not my, that's not my pay grade, you know? Yeah. So... It's vocalists who have a hard time with their intonation and with pitch. And, you know, that's, we find that challenging to work with. So it's pitch, intonation, and and then phrasing Mm -hmm. where where they feel the rhythm um, and, you know, how they deliver, how they articulate the lyrics and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and do they know the lyrics? Um, so in in a small way, that's that's one part of it. So so musicians, vocalists who don't quite have that together yet, um, you hope that someday they they will. But those who don't have it together, that can be challenging to mm-hmm. work with. But what but what we don't realize as as Daniel, you and I as as instrumentalists, we don't realize how hard that is. And so again, I mean, I just think there for you know for a long time there was just this culture of of. Uh, vibing and and I hate to say this Joe but it really is it's it's vibing the female vocalists mm-hmm. you know and and you guys have gotten the 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 short end of the stick for a long time yeah. and and so again 
the needle moved for me working with this really wonderful singer from New Orleans. And then having the good fortune of working with other great, both male and female vocalists mm -hmm. who were like, wow, this is like, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. I to the degree that I really began to seek out working with good vocalists yeah. because mm -hmm. um, a good vocalist will <laughs> actually attract a larger audience too. Uh, that, I mean, the, the largest audiences that I've probably ever yes. played for have been backing up a, a great vocalist. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, and, and I think it was this just self-discovery, realizing, wow, that, you know, I've been a part of this kind of uh, vocalist hater right. vibe, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a hater, but, yeah. you know, it's like, and, and, you know, a lot of that really comes from your own insecurity. Mm -hmm. It's easy to kind of vibe the vocalist because you think you have your shit together. Yeah, right. And it's like, yeah. you don't. And I didn't. And and it was easy to, you know, to be that way. And then just having a complete radical change in that thinking. Yeah. So so I love well, that's I mean, nice I, to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, there's still more about that that I'm, you know, mm -hmm. um, that I'm kind of I've wondered um, a couple of things. Actually, I made a little list. I'm going to mm. check out. Um, mm -hmm. Well, we, you didn't mention anything about like vocalists getting lost in the form or not knowing the form or the key and yeah, how difficult I mean, that could be. Yeah, there's, there's also... all of that. But the thing is, um, I mean, yes, the, the big ones are, are, are pitch and intonation. If you're just, if you're singing flat, I mean, it's just, yeah. it turns yeah. a lot of instrumental loss. But, but no question, you know, uh, understanding form and, um, you know how to how to how to run your band. I actually been coaching. I've been coaching a lot of vocalists over the the past number of years, um, trying to be an ally mm -hmm. and um, and explaining to them what as instrumentalists, you know, Daniel and I, what we need to hear as being in, instrumentalists in your band. Mm -hmm. right. Here's what I need from you. I need you to lay down that that rhythm. You yeah. know, before you bring us in, you got to count it off the right way. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll make you look good. Uh, so I do a lot of coaching kind of along those lines. And then I'll get down. I'm not a vocal instructor, but I can help you. Uh, I can hear when you're, you know, when you're kind of getting pitchy. And I can hear when you're delivering your line in, in what might be perceived as being kind of a stiff way. Mm -hmm. Or let's right. try it this way, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then, yeah, let's talk about the form and why this is important. And it makes you realize that, it's all a matter of perspective. A vocalist might be thinking, oh, my job is to sing this with correct pitch, to sing the lyric correctly. Form? I'm, I'm not sure what that is, you know? Right. So, yeah. you know, we're kind of trying to bridge that to say, look, here's why form is important because yeah. we're all playing from that, <clears throat> that framework and you have to kind of fit within that. So, right. but these are things that are all really easily overcome mm -hmm. you know, totally. once they're explained to someone. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've, in retrospect, I feel bad that... I've known many vocalists who didn't have the good fortune to have that kind of training and, yeah. and maybe just didn't pick up on that while they were listening to the material they were trying to um, trying to acquire. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's all it's all it's all, you know, education and, and uh, in a collegial kind of way. Mm -hmm. like, hey, and really like it sounds totally. like and practice as well. Exactly. Practicing. Yeah. So there's a couple other things I want to kind of hit on. One mm -hmm. is just like a simple one that I've noticed 
um, <clears throat> vocal, you know, I've accompanied a few vocalists mm -hmm. myself, and ha people have asked for very simple chords because they don't mm -hmm. they don't want really a, many extensions because they can't like hear that pitch, mm -hmm. um, you know, if they're throw them know, off a little bit. Yeah, so, just yeah. throw. So I'm, yeah. what, you know, sometimes maybe for um, pianists that are not used to playing with singers that that's kind of disconcerting or mm -hmm. whatever or frustrating because they want to be more creative, you know. Um, and again, like if the pianist really wants to be an, to be an ally for the singer, um, of course, then they can, you know, pare it down and make it easier mm -hmm. for them to hear. But yeah, you know, I have, a, I have a tendency to look at a lot of things in life in these kind of on, you know, like one end of the spectrum to the other. So on one end of the spectrum, you have a, a fourth grade music teacher who's sitting at the piano and pounding out the melody and the chords for a group of fourth graders to learn yeah, that melody. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is the vocalist that I'm working with, they know their stuff. They know where that melody is. And you're staying away from the melody and trying to... And then mm -hmm. you see how far you can go with it. You know, with mm -hmm. some... Um, I've been working with a, uh, a vocalist down in Marin, Deborah Winters. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, she has great ears and she has the ability to just just to move wherever she wants yeah. and I'll I'll push her she'll push me it's a it's really kind of a we were playing duo for a long time and you know she was strong enough and and creative enough that she would move one way I would follow her and and vice versa that is that's a the other end of the spectrum beautiful thing yeah, yeah it's a great thing when it happens and it's just like a pianist playing with a bass player mm -hmm. you know um you it's it's very it's highly collaborative it's yeah. not just you laying down your thing and hoping you know which i think many years ago i thought it was okay i'm going to play my thing you follow me mm -hmm. you know um, it's it's not that it's yeah. highly collaborative mm -hmm. and 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 there is a certain degree of yeah I got your back if if you're if you go off the deep end I'm gonna I'll reinsert that melody in that moment mm -hmm. um, but yeah yeah so so anyway I've known yeah. uh, known about felt that growth from um, and I haven't done much accompanying but I'm talking about like some singers in a in a class situation yeah. <clears throat> um, and. You know, so maybe they weren't that strong a singer or whatever, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to support them to so they can, you know, perform in the class situation. Yeah. But also, like, as a singer, like, mm -hmm. when I started out um, going to jazz jams, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in Sebastopol, actually, at Jasper's... Um, which I'm just right now, I'm just going to applaud you for doing that. I, oh, I mean, <laughs> probably the hardest thing in the world would be... I couldn't imagine anything worse than being... A vocalist going to a jazz jam. <laughs> the level of abuse that you, you know, oh, might man. have to endure could be just excruciating. Thank you for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you <laughs> for yeah. that. I've seen it all. I've Courageous just, acts, I've yeah. seen the worst of the worst. Oh, you know? But if, you know, yeah. and, and if you can just hang in there and mm -hmm. make it and, and like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do my thing. Even, even if you, you know, <laughs> part of this is like you're trying to conform to, to someone else's version of what they think is right. That's the other thing. I mean, mm -hmm. just really quickly to digress for a moment, I don't miss for a... Mo I don't regret for a moment the 23 years that I spent in Boston. Mm -hmm. not, a, a, not a nanosecond do I regret. But I'm so happy that I returned to California and there's a lot to be said culturally, musically. I moved out here and I saw 
weaker players playing with really solid players. Mm. That never happens on the East Coast. I mean, you mm. get your butt kicked on the East Coast. And I, you know, I wanted that. Um, and um, I had my butt kicked many times because I didn't quite have it all together. And there's a lot to be learned from that. But what I've learned out here is that um, it's, it's, I think it's more supportive but again, and so back to this thing, you know, you're trying to conform to what somebody, and there is a certain degree of what's right. Look, if we're going to play night and day, if you want to play that tune, you, you got to know the form and you yeah. got to know the chords. But who am I to say that that's the only way to play it? Yeah. What if you break the form open and you want to play it that way? If we stifle that, we're really stifling the development of this music. And jazz... You know, we, this is a whole other podcast you can do. Jazz used to be the music of freedom and liberation. And yes, there were these structures. And yes, you could, you know, move this. But, yeah. but there were great innovators who, I mean, who could you imagine when Thelonious Monk was writing his music and playing mm -hmm. those compositions and somebody saying, um, you know, excuse me, Mr. Monk, but wrong way to do <laughs> um, that's the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. You know, um, where would we be? We're still trying to figure out Monk's music, which is incredible yes. and, and so amazing and so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So who am I to say that there's only one right way to yeah. sing night right. and day? Yeah. You should go in there and like, sing okay, I'm going to blow this yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to sing just the first A section and then we're going to blow it. I'm going to completely go off it. script yeah. you know, and go rogue. <laughs> Um, and, you know, it's yeah. through experimenting that way that you discover new things. Mm -hmm. And that said, I believe that there, in order to do that, which is a beautiful thing, I think there needs to be, you know, some kind of like basic understanding of things before you can kind of go out there and do that. So where I was at the time, you know, with that jazz jam to get back to that, yeah. <clears throat> I was probably, I think maybe I'd been, um, you know, studying jazz for like, Mm, a semester I mm -hmm. think so I was like really a newbie I couldn't even play mm -hmm. I certainly couldn't play and sing together mm -hmm. at that time and um so getting up on the bandstand uh, I will I was used to practicing my songs um at home and so I choose some somewhat challenging mm -hmm. you know melodies yeah, that yeah, yeah. has some tritones in them and just go back and nice. forth and make sure I can hit the, that tritone and but I didn't have a whole band around me. And what I would find that I would get up there on the stand, oh, my God, when all of the instruments started coming together, I, I, I would feel overwhelmed. Like, I don't know, it was just kind of this weird hmm. feeling. And yeah. I would, um, something would happen inside where I would kind of just lose my center. Yeah. And so I, I have had to, to learn do. how to yeah. actually just, like, keep my center yeah. and... Um, you know, like the level of stimulation. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm, you know, I have yeah. some yeah. sensory processing totally issues here, that. but, yeah. you know. Um, well, okay, let's, if we're talking dirty little secrets, yeah. here's the other little dirty secret then. Uh, and that is that that we as instrumentalists also go through that too, you mm -hmm. know. And, um, I mean, when I was more Daniel's age, uh, I'd get up on stage like that at a jam session and, you know, probably thought that everyone was looking at me thinking like, is this guy going to be able to cut it? Right. You lose your balance. And, and then also, you know, I think something that you're kind of alluding to, and I just had this conversation with a friend of mine, and I think this is in part one of the, one of the, the values of getting older, 
your nervous system starts to amp down mm. in a in a good way. When I was in my twenties, um, and, and for the, and for those <laughs> so of you wrong. out there, for those of you out there listening, um, Kenny Werner, the great pianist, oh yeah, has a ton of great. Uh, they're just really wonderful. Um, talks online like master classes mm-hmm. yes and this is his thing he kind of talks yeah. a lot about this um but you know when i was your age daniel uh you know in my in my 20s i think my <laughs> nervous system was like off the rails <laughs> yeah. and all this stuff that i was studying with this great educator you try and bring that to the bandstand it would just fail miserably yeah. mm-hmm. you know um but i find that and actually i had to learn it's funny because I developed this sense, this 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 feeling of almost feeling inebriated without having. I don't mm. like to have a drink when I'm on the gig. Mm-hmm. I really feel like I need all my senses faculties and my senses yeah. Yeah. there. Me, me too. But I would create this way of feeling slightly inebriated, mm. so that it, I would sort of dial down yeah. everything, mm. and, and I have more control. And um, that was that was helpful for me. It's hard to get to that place though. Mm-hmm. And if you you know for for someone who may feel like they're still and we all are. We're still trying to make this happen. Um, but if you're newer to it, it's really terrifying. Yeah, and but, then trying but, to communicate with a band and yeah, not knowing how to do that. Yeah. And then getting the vibe from the drummer, like, oh, my God, he's, like, bored out of his tears, right. but yeah, bored out yeah, of his yeah. mind. And no, it can really be brutal. Mm-hmm. It can be brutal. So but you just gotta, you just it. have to stick with it and just <laughs> yeah, keep doing exactly. it and just kind of give them the big... F you. Yeah. I'm, I'm here. I'm here for me. Yeah. And yeah. no one else, you know. Yeah. So what was and it know, like then um, doing that? I want to hear a little more about that. Is it um, what was it like being on stage? Yeah, well, so. well, you know, it was there weren't tons of people that were coming up. It was, you know, it was actually run by a by a singer. Okay. The jam oh, the jam okay. was run by a singer. Mm-hmm. But um and there weren't tons of people coming and wanting to sit in. Um, but that said, so it took me a little while to just begin to get my feet under me and uh, like literally. And yeah. I think one of the things that helped me the most was actually um, watching Kenny Werner's um, mm-hmm. DVD. Mm-hmm. And it was on, you know, Effortless Mastery Effortless and reading Mastery, that yeah. book. Yep. And and then, my, you know, my background and how I know how to connect with my breath and all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. Exactly. And then understanding that, like, what would happen, why my adrenaline would start to go is mm-hmm. because, like, I realized it's deep down I had something, I thought I had something to prove. And so what I do exactly is exactly what he talks about. Yeah, I go in and I say to myself, and I had to do this when I was playing piano and jazz combos. Totally. Yeah. I'd have to say to myself beforehand like literally as i connect with my breath and i'm doing it now i have nothing to prove mm-hmm. i have nothing to prove um i'm just here to relax to be present and alert in the moment i have nothing to prove mm-hmm. and it's a practice of presence so good. and yeah. you know i mean and it was also like okay if i made a mistake yeah. like i remember in combos one time we had a guest artist and i just lost my place just for like a measure or something and it's like okay Normally, I would just like freak out. Right. Like, Makes everything harder. You know, but yeah. no, I was yeah. able to just go, oh, it's okay. I, you know what? Here I am. I'm back again. I used to lose my place a lot in, in playing mm-hmm. the piano in combos and, st- I mean, in the class, not in the performances. But, and, you know, I don't do that anymore. I don't know how that happened, but just with lots of practice. practice? Yeah. But, um, what was I going to say? So, what was it like? It was, there was a lot of adrenaline that would go through my body and it would be hard to just kind of 
you know, chill. But I think I started to develop a different relationship with that fear and, you know, give myself the kinds of thoughts that I Mm -hmm. supported me and being relaxed and realizing that even if I, you know, um, if some little weird thing would happen, like, oh, I'd hear my voice shake or something, you know. Um, that it was okay. And so just like being okay with not being perfect, Mm -hmm. with just being how I was, that was very helpful. And then I have to give like a shout out to the Stanford Jazz Workshop. Mm -hmm. I did that uh, two years ago. And we have, um, we had Lorca, actually Lorca Mm -hmm. Hart was the drummer for the week. Mm -hmm. Um, And Dina DeRose was um, the piano teacher and, and, and actually, Madeline Eastman, mm-hmm. um, the two of them were, were teachers. And then, uh, yeah, John Mutala on, on bass. And, and actually, Randy um, Porter was Randy Porter, one of the yeah. other piano players. But that we get the chance to practice yeah. in a non-stressful situation. Because, like, without that kind of situation, honestly, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's difficult for us. At least it was difficult for me to kind of, you know, under, understand how to be in that situation and play with things. Obviously, as a pianist, um, you know, with a sense of rhythm and and that kind of thing that I'm working on, I have a little bit of advantage, you know, maybe just because because I've been working on on that kind of stuff, so that kind of helps my singing a little Mm -hmm. bit. But, um, yeah. Was there support for you in the jams or did it feel like just as a singer, what was, I'm curious how people, you know, reacted to you being there as a singer. Audience members actually, believe it or not, were, um, were really helpful Hmm. because they were listening. Actually, there were people out there that were actually listening and would any little comment that came my way. Yeah that was a positive comment, mm. actually felt grounding and calming. There was one, um, one of the piano players at the jam was John Simon, mm-hmm. and he was very supportive because he had actually, I'd taken some classes, some lessons with mm-hmm. him. And so he, I felt like he was like an ally. And so he would, you know, when the bridge is coming back up, he'd like, you know, look at me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because even sometimes, you know, like, yeah, I would forget to kind of just, just I would go off in a second is just it's really been a practice I have to just say you know (laughs) it's not easy to do it's a lot to it's a lot to manage you're trying to develop these parts of your brain yeah to do to do this I mean I I sort of describe it as the counting part of your brain Mm -hmm. I work on that with with some of the adults who are playing in groups and um and I do a lot of work with them of just, okay, let's feel this measure by measure. You know, mm-hmm. let's, let's feel a four-measure phrase and an eight-measure yeah. phrase. And then right. you've got to feel that eight-measure phrase twice. And then we're going to, if we're playing a 32-bar form, we're moving on. Right. And um, it's something you're, you're just, you're, it's a part of your, your musical mind that you're developing. Mm-hmm. And you can listen to music in that way too. I mean, I like mm-hmm. to listen to music where, you know, with contemporary jazz players, they'll really take it out and you kind of lose the form. You're like, man, I have no idea where they are. And they're, and they're playing this simple standard that I know well. And you listen harder and you try and kind of listen your way through it and you think, oh, I think this is the end of the last A session. Yep, they just mm-hmm. hit that downbeat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's a part of your mind that really takes a long time to, to develop. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, speaking of dirty little secrets, I will tell you the other dirty secret is, in some you have nothing to prove, 
And yet there are people who are waiting for you to prove mm. to them. And that's, yeah. I had a yeah. really interesting experience that way. Oh, do tell. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was not long ago, too. This was, this was two or three years ago. Wow. A very well-known tenor player whose name I, I won't mention lived in this area. And he called me for a gig, and it was just a you know private party. And um, I was excited to play with him. And he, you know, you really kind of don't bring a real book to those gigs. You just, you hope you know everything. <laughs> and uh, I've been playing a lot of music in my own trio, um, either things that I've written or, or specific tunes that I've been working on with my trio, and then work with other groups on a lot of original material. And I'm kind of out of that scene of, you know, going to jam sessions and playing right, right. all these standards, you know, and I know, you know, a couple hundred, but not all 10,000. Right. And I went to this gig and, and uh, he would start calling tunes and I was on it, you know, and, and then he, I was kind of playing behind him with the bass player and uh, he would turn around and he said, do you know, do you know, do you know, you know, such and such a tune? I said, yeah, um, what key? And, you know, and I was there and I thought, okay, I'm doing good, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then there was, he called a tune and I, oh, you know, man, where's the bridge? There's an old music, musician's joke. I, I know, you know, 500 standards and the bridge is to about five of them, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And totally. so on this tune, we're totally. playing, and I thought, oh, damn, where's, uh, where, where's the bridge go on this? Does it go up a minor third? And uh, the moment I hit this wrong chord, I, he pulls the tenor out of his mouth, and he goes, let me know if you don't know this tune. You know? And I said, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> you know, got to the tune, listening to the bass player, oh, he's on A flat. You know? Wow. That was a little, little, little misstep, little hiccup. Yeah. A couple more tunes, it's all good. Um, finish a tune. He goes, do you know, do you know such and such a tune? I said, ah, you know, uh, I haven't played that for a while. What tune was it? I'm just curious. Oh, I, I, you know, it was, uh, it was <laughs> probably, it was like a, it was a Brazilian standard that I just should have known. It was like Triste or something uh -huh. like that, where I, you know, play that a hundred times and right. my brain in that moment was just like what key is that in I you mm -hmm. know pass can we do another one yeah yeah, yeah. and he kind of did the old turn around and like look at me side eye like really and I was like oh Jesus here we you know here we go yeah. we do another tune I'm kind of like at this point also calling out some tunes hey do you know yeah, <laughs> you know so you, yeah. and at right. the end of like the, the we're almost done with this party and he goes uh it was like Star Eyes. He goes, do you know Star Eyes? And I said, oh, man, you know what? It's been a while since I played that. And he turned around and looked at me and kind of shook his head. He launched into something else. And I just thought, okay, I'll never get this call again. Right. <laughs> and didn't, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and the point of that story is sometimes you do have to prove, yeah. you know, and sometimes... It doesn't work out the way you yeah. want. You know, I thought I played great on everything else, but there is a culture of, you know, people who can, they're, 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 they can sniff out one part per billion what your weakness is. Jeez. And um, there, is there's still though? that culture. Like, well, that, yeah, I mean, that was, really, it, that's it an seems, old school mm -hmm. East Coast thing, you know, I think. Yeah. Um, where you've just got to be able to show up and burn in mm -hmm. all 12 keys. Mm -hmm. um, and right from the get-go, there's, and there's no, 
you know, it's trial by fire mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And, and, and part of that is, you know, a big part of that is doing your homework. Mm-hmm. You, you really, if you want to be a jazz musician and you want to be a part of that culture of, of playing, you got to know these tunes. Right. You but, know. you know, okay, so I recently heard one of those, um, <clears throat> somebody that I follow on Facebook who is a New York musician who, you know, I've actually heard him perform here at Heal- in Healdsburg. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he leads, uh, it's kind of a jam. I think it's called Harlem Sessions. And Mark Carey, I don't know if you know him. The pianist? Yeah. Mark, I, God, I saw, I haven't heard that name for a long time. He played with Betty Carter years ago. Yes. He's yeah, a great player. Yeah. Um, yeah, I heard him. It was just amazing uh, at the Paul Meldau Gallery. Um, but anyway, so, um, yeah, he put something, he said something about players that are coming up on the stage. He's like, mm. you know, you guys, you really need to... You know, you really need to know the, know the tunes. I don't want you coming up here with, you know, your phones using the iReal Pro or the fake book or something like that. Yeah. So, okay, this is what happens for me when I hear that. I'm thinking to myself, I, I, you know, I, I, I get it. I totally mm-hmm. get it. But if I would never be able to play with anybody if I didn't, if yeah. I didn't do that. Like, I just did not, when you talk about learning things just from, when I was in my 20s, let me just tell you, I, mm-hmm. I did try to play to um to records Mm -hmm. and i just could not find Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and i was frustrated and i just i didn't have what it took Mm -hmm. you know and i gave up but you know well i think that's you know you can you can benefit from good coaching along those lines like to that's kind of like saying okay we're going to drop you off in the indian ocean can you figure out a way to get back home you know of of course not you know without a little guidance of like okay go south Mm -hmm. (laughs) go southwest (laughs) you know and I think for someone to help you, to guide you in the direction of, here's what you need. If you really want to learn this, here's what you need to listen for. For I mean, I, I do this mm-hmm. all the time. Mm. You know, I, I describe it as you have to, I turn my students hearing upside down. You have to hear things from the root motion first. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. um, and, no, then, and then that, you can no, climb all the way back then. to the top and listen to just the melody, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you fill it in between with, yeah. with what's happening harmonically. But mm-hmm. if you don't have anybody to help you do that, yeah. that's that's part of that you mentioned earlier, part of the tradition of handing this down. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the only reason why I know that is because somebody showed me, mm-hmm. and so I'm showing my students how to how to, and I have a lot of adult students who are like, I could never do that, and I said. You know, I'll say yes. You can. I'm going to show you how to do this, and they're doing it, and it's really exciting for them. So but cool. you have to have you have to have support along those lines. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to figure out on your own. So I feel but, better. But I, but I, but I <laughs> yeah. think you know, just or, with regard to or with respect to learning all these tunes, this is what people will tell you is paying your dues. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a couple of real books, and you open them up, and you play along with a record and you, you know, go to jam sessions with your friend, friends, and you play through this stuff. And, you know, at, at Sonoma State, we've got you guys working on five tunes a semester, yeah. um, which is great. So uh, you, you come out knowing 40 plus tunes, which is, uh, you know, kind of a drop in the bucket of what's yeah. out there. And so hopefully, you know, you're all working on other tunes as well in your private studio instruction and but that's the paying your dues and that's showing up to jam sessions and it's showing mm-hmm. up to gigs and it's being exposed to new tunes all the time and, and, and developing that memory piece in your brain that's able right. to hang on to it. Um, yeah. And, you know, five years of that and you wake up and it's like, 
hmm, yeah, I do know 300 tunes now mm-hmm. in, a, in a bunch of different keys. <laughs> but it's work. It is really, it's really work. And so I don't know. I mean, what I would say to you is, yeah, you know, put a list of 100 tunes that you really want to get inside of. And mm-hmm. and those are your tunes. and yeah. uh, Or maybe, you know, 50 tunes. And you lead your own groups and you lead your own gra- <laughs> you know, jam right. sessions. Well, you know, that's what I, when yeah. I realized that I really wanted to like do some gigs, I, you know, I mean, I didn't know, and I wanted to sing them and play, sing and play together. Mm. And like, I literally didn't know any vocal music mm-hmm. <clears throat> at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in one semester I was asked to do something and you I started you with seven. You didn't know any of these jazz tunes, the, the, the lyrics to these? Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. And because I never really? listened to them, like mm-hmm. I said, I was in, more into, into instrumental jazz. Yeah. So, but anyway, so I learned seven tunes. But then I decided, okay, like after a year, I'm going to learn fifty tunes so <laughs> I could do a three hour gig. Mm-hmm. So I set about, you know, finding my keys and up, like just number one, like figuring out what all those tunes were that I loved. Yeah. So I think I have like sixty now. Yes. Nice. You know, and it's been six years. Um, and I, you know, I. Wrote out, I transposed them all by hand, wrote them all on hand by hand with a melody, yeah. you know, and all that. But you, you, the more you, I'm sure, Daniel, you're, you're figuring this out as you learn a bunch of tunes, you start to realize that it's, it's all about architecture, really. Yeah. And, and, and certainly in the jazz world, or at least in the in parts of the jazz world, I mean, there's a lot of, and actually, you're, this stuff is coming your way. We've yep. talked about uh, working on different tunes that, that don't kind of fall into that traditional functional harmony. Uh, layout, um, but it's architecture. It's oh, here's a two five going to another two five, mm-hmm. and then going to the one chord, and then going to the yeah. six. It's like walking into a house, going, I bet you the bathrooms that way, and I bet you the backyards <laughs> out that way. Yeah. And if you walk into enough houses, you get a sense of of layout. Mm-hmm. And these tunes are really kind of like that, yeah. in a, it, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And if you transcribe enough or you listen, you learn enough of these, you go, oh, here's a really smart device of how they're getting back to the one chord. Oh, it's just all these dominant seven chords that mm-hmm. are, you know, being stacked down. Um, and then, you know, and then it's like you get to the gig and somebody calls a tune and you don't know it. It's the equivalent of saying something like, oh, this is like a three-story, uh, you <laughs> know, with the bedrooms off to the right, kitchens off the left, except on this tune, the the backyard is in the front. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I get it. I get the architecture of that. Right. You know? Yeah. And you start to see this and hear it mm-hmm. after you've been down the road with looking at the architecture and structure of a lot of these yeah. tunes, you know? But that that takes a little while to get mm-hmm. to, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel like I'm just starting to get there, you mm-hmm. know, like that it's easier for me to memorize mm-hmm. tunes, mm-hmm. whereas before it was like everything was like... Uh, I couldn't really quite see the patterns yeah. and understand the patterns. So now, yeah. you know, I'm seeing yeah. the patterns and it's kind of like when I first started teaching yoga and, you know, I wrote everything down that I was going to say and do. And, you know, there's no way in a million years that when I stopped doing that, that I could remember what I did for a class. Whereas at the, you know, in the end, after 20 years or whatever, then mm-hmm. I could, um, if I took a class, I would remember every single solitary thing that the mm. teacher did within that class. Mm. Or if I taught a class, and mm-hmm. I, of course, at that time, it was like just kind of, you know, letting it all come through me yeah. and then yeah. being able to go home and go, oh, I did this, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm seeing that with, you know, just I'm just starting to see, <laughs> you know, the, the sky opening up and like there's hope, you know, that I can, that I can, because I was like, oh, my God, my memory is like fucked. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but it's and and uh, so is everybody else's, you know. It, and and that's a specific part of your of your the the memory part of your brain, which apparently goes across several different cortices. Um, you don't have just this one little memory bank. It's you process memory in uh, really disparate ways mm-hmm. and associating things and. Um, but so learning, learning, uh, learning lyrics for you, you know, and actually that's a, there's a a culture around back in the day, this was done much more so, um, you know, tenor players, guitarists from the the fifties and sixties, those, those, those people actually learned all the lyrics to those tunes. They never sang them, but they learned those lyrics so that they could phrase more lyrically, even though you have the melody in front of you Mm -hmm. or you've processed that melody. But if you process it with the lyric, it renders in a different way, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you'll, yeah. G- you'll get there. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Just you. Just hang in there. It's a, it's a process. It's a long process. I know so. who I want to study with right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, so let's see. What? Oh, well... Do you want to add the musical fantasy question yeah. that we have? Mm, sure. If you could just like blink your eyes and, you know, just experience whatever you want to experience. And it, I mean, it, whatever that is, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Could be playing a venue, could be playing with well, someone, could be oh, I grading to, some yeah, sort of thing. I would love to do a gig where I get paid $125 rather than that's $100. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my fantasy. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's a very good question. Um, you know, I, I there. I, just pulling something out of the hat. God, if I had the opportunity to play with someone like Mary Stallings, you know, mm. playing with her on them. I don't think she goes out on the road anymore. But you know, playing with someone of that ilk. I mean, she just uh, there's probably a wealth of. You mentioned Mark. She Carey. does, by the way, because I just recently saw a live performance of her. You did, yeah. 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 I saw her about six or seven years ago. I think she's touring less and less and mm. doing more of the surgical strike, you know, like fly to Russia, do a gig, come home. Mm. But um you mentioned Mark Carey. There he he was with um Abby with Lincoln. um Abby Lincoln, but also with um um uh not Carmen McRae, but uh, Betty, Betty Carter. Carter. He was with Betty Carter. And people talk about the Betty Carter school. Like if you, were a, if you were a musician in her group, you were in her school <laughs> and you got school. <laughs> you want to get school, like, don't I remember you? seeing her with that band and she would count things off and launch yeah. in and then she would stop and she would go, she would look at you know, the bass player and go, listen to me again. One, two, three. <laughs> you know, like, and it was... Oh, kind man. of uncomfortable, but kind of it. like, wow, you know, that's, yep. yeah, that's real musicianship. Like, listen to, listen to her. She's counting it in. <laughs> you chose a different tempo than what she counted in. She wants it right here, you know. Um, yeah, uh, I would love to, I'd love to get a little more schooling along those lines. <laughs> I'd love to wow. play with a, you know, uh, a Mary Stallings or a, mm-hmm. a Betty's long gone, but uh, yeah. So I'm so playing with, um, you know, with great vocalists like that. Kurt Elling, I'm a big fan of Kurt oh, Elling. Oh, me too. You know, I love to, to play in, in Kurt Elling's band. Yeah. You know, or well, speaking of Kurt Elling, you know, actually um, Jazz Congress just happened and mm. um, <clears throat> and I heard him talking about uh, being a singer in the very beginning, like mm-hmm. what it was like for him when he was doing jams. Mm-hmm. And even Kurt Elling talked about 
actually something very similar to what I talked the about, divide, how just yeah. like you just yeah. like losing, you're just Go losing, on. there's so much going on that you just mm-hmm. like, you lose yourself and you can't like focus on what you already know, you know, yeah. how to do in a different situation. Mm-hmm. With, but, you know, and, and just talking about how it just takes time for it just does. doing it, doing it, does, it yeah. doing it and doing it. He but even a, Kurt Elling. He, yeah, was a, right. he was a divinity student. Oh, wow. In Chicago somewhere. And I, and, you know, I think wound up while he was at divinity school, I think he would just sort of, you know, he had a love of jazz and he would go to these jam sessions just kind of for fun, more so for fun. Mm. And I think was encouraged by people along the way. Right. But it, yeah, interesting. You know, it's important to hear those stories from your people you really admire. We mm. all go through the same thing. You know, many, I mean, it's actually, I think that the Mozarts of the world are, you know, guys like that who were just doing extraordinary things at the age of seven. That I always think of as just being, it makes, first of all, it makes me believe in reincarnation. Yeah. That that guy must have been on the planet (laughs) somewhere before. But I think of the Mozarts of the world, which represent, you know, just one in a a, a million. I I think of that as being, you know, some divine being just like lifting him up and placing him in the planet saying, here you guys go, here's a gift, you know. And then the rest of us, it's... Um, it's a lot of work. It's a long time, and and it's a never-ending process. And so it's good to hear from your people that you admire and mm-hmm. from your mentors to yeah. hear the mm-hmm. stories of like, yeah, I got my butt kicked yeah. in, so in nice. you know, it, yeah, East Texas in a jam, in a jam <laughs> session one time, and and uh, I'll never forget yeah. it. And it made me go home and you know work harder. And yeah, um, so mm. yeah. yeah, we're all human. Yes, yeah. we are. Right, and that's goodness. what, yeah, we're not, uh, you know, artificial, intelligent, uh, algorithm-making. This is why the music is what it is yeah, and, exactly. and why it makes it so good. But, yeah. um, And, you know, there are some people you listen to. I'm still kind of amazed. I was a fan of Kenny Barron, the pianist. Oh, yeah. I still am. And, and uh, man, you listen to guys like that or Keith Jarrett. I'm a huge mm. Keith Jarrett fan. He mm. was one of my really primary influences. Keith sounded like Keith, you know, when he was 18. Mm. And, and I know he went some, through some interesting developmental changes, but it's, I'm always intrigued with people who really had their sound together. Pat Metheny, another oh, one. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking about him in class the other day. Pat had a sound from, you know, an early age. He had mm-hmm. something kind of there. But he would probably be the first to tell you, oh, yeah, I mean, maybe I had something there. Right. you know, innately or intrinsically, sure. but that really had to be developed. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to hear those stories yes. of, of yeah. hardship from your mentors. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to touch on with you mm-hmm. now um, is you are sort of, well, like the other guests we've had on, uh, you're not just a musician, you're many other things, which is photography is sort of a thing that you're really into. How did you know that? Uh, because I stalk you, and you know, <laughs> no, I've seen your Instagram posts. Yeah, I love, oh, I love oh. your photography, oh, so cool. I wanted nice. to bring it up. Thank you, um, cool. and just talk about where that love started for you and how that came to be. You know, I think quite simply, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an oral person, and I'm a visual person. I, I and sometimes I wonder if maybe I, I would have had greater success in a visual mm. world. Sure. Um, 
but uh, my parents, when I was living in Southern California, we purchased a, my parents purchased a small home in this little suburb of Newport Beach that had a dark room in it. And my dad um, was like, let's, let's, let's figure this out. You know, let's <laughs> use it. And, and the guy across the street from us had a bunch of darkroom equipment. And I remember walking across, I remember this. I have a vivid memory of walking across the street. My dad pulled his wallet out and pulled a couple bucks out. And this guy gave us all these developing trays and a big um, cool. photographic enlarger. And we set this up in, in this little tiny closet. Mm. And, uh, and that was it. And I started... And he was, you know, he, so he was interested in doing it and he had cameras and, um, and then, uh, so I remember kind of shooting from a young age and then didn't get back into it until high school. And I had a, I had a girlfriend when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend who lived, had this, she lived in this, um, like in-laws house <clears throat> that mm -hmm. was detached from the house. Right. And I convinced her to set up a dark room. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the agreement that I would, you know, that I would photograph her. And right. um, so I would do these really cool shots of her and then develop them and, you know, That's hang so them on the fun. wall. And, you know, oh, and that was all in black and white with my little Pentax K1000. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, just something I've been interested in on and off, you know, but years will go by um, of not doing it. And then I've, I've probably gotten back into it. I mean, I certainly got into it when we had our first kids. Mm. Yeah. Um, I bought a, a really cool medium format camera that takes large you know the, the negatives on that are large and develop some awesome. of those and then mm. um and then just yeah. you know experiment with lots of different cameras and then the the dslrs came out mm -hmm. and and my wife bought me a really cool dslr and nice. it was a total surprise and so started working with that and taking more classes and um and i have some i have some nice gear that i use and yeah um yeah, don't be surprised if I bring that into class one day. Please, dude. <laughs> yeah. cool. I love it. Take some headshots yeah. of you guys. Oh, um, there yeah. you go. But it's good, to, you know. I think it's good to. I'm a musician, and I listen and I play music all day. It's good to get away from that and to yeah. do something else. Yeah. I also think, like you were talking about, stretching out laterally, mm -hmm. like you know, and oh, just the space just no of question. art in general. Yeah. yeah, right. I'm sure that. Applies yeah. to your music life too. Just yeah, and there, I mean, there's so many musicians. Like you know, Joni Mitchell's a great, yeah. great Peter, painter. Yeah. A lot of great musicians who are great visual artists. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'd love to explore mm. painting, but I think it's a good. You know, I think it's. I mean, I tell my students who are kind of of your generation, mm -hmm. don't get don't get locked into just this. Go to the museum and become inspired by something that you can actually pull back into your music. I mean, for mm -hmm. example, you know, the visual artists who paint in a pointillistic way, mm. you can actually interpret that in a very musical kind of way and, and channel that. Mm. But it's good to get inspiration from not just from Coltrane and, you know, from our musical heroes, but um, go check out the detail on a Rembrandt someday. Mm. And it's like, wow, can I recreate that on my instrument? Do I need to? Do I, you know... All those questions come up, um, but I think it's yeah that that going laterally thing is really good. I think for that, and you bring back something to your instrument in a different well, way. That makes me like wonder: Do you ever um, <clears throat> collaborate with dancers? I have in the past. I, I, I remember doing when I was living in Boston years ago. I remember doing sessions with tap dancers, uh -huh. which was really really different mm -hmm. and I, I I can't remember how I got locked into that I think a good friend of mine who was a bass player was playing with this guy 
there was a whole kind of tap culture in Boston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like Gregory Hines, you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was, I think, uh, I don't think he was in Boston, but the people who were dancing that way were influenced by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but being that it was so, you know, orally rhythmic, you could hear yeah. the rhythm. Right. Um, that they liked playing to music. And I mm-hmm. remember doing, you know, a couple sessions like that, which was fun. Yeah. Um, well, I've always been interested in dance too. And <clears throat> I used to have fantasies of, you know, being able to play for dancers and mm. stuff improvisationally mm-hmm. and like performance. Um, but somebody like you could like, you know, totally do that because you've got such skill and and um, can play so many different things. Does it interest... I'm just like fascinated with improvisation in general and to have like dancers and the musician improvising together I think is like just such a cool idea. It is. And I and that, I, I really have not done a lot of that. I would love to. I mm-hmm. would love to explore that. Um, I think working... I've done a little bit of work working with, um, you know, like in poetry slams. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's really fun. I think uh, the thing that I find most enjoyable... And I'm so thankful that the faculty is like this. George Marsh is really kind of the the elder statesman of this for us, because and, and I'm so happy for that. But he is a big proponent of free playing. Mm. Oh, yeah, yep. ask, oh, okay. ask well, away. Oh I mean, yes, that's, this we is would a whole love. Other, oh my this god, is a whole other podcast. And we would love to hear you do a free play. <laughs> sure. Oh my god. Yeah. Sweet. Um, well, and we might. What time is it? My goodness, it's three. It's o'clock. already yeah. seven o'clock. I think. Oh, it's uh, coming quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we might actually have to have you on a second time. Yeah, yeah. Part two. <laughs> but I did want to talk to you about free playing before we mm-hmm. uh, yeah. wrapped up today. We got to do that. So, yeah. Do you have any specific questions? <gasps> okay. Well, yeah. Not mm-hmm. really. That's the thing about it. Is it could be very. Okay, I have a question okay, then. Go yeah. ahead, then. Okay, so so with free play, um, my I guess like when you when before you've begun. What happens inside of you? Do you wait till you feel an impulse? Do you touch something on the piano? Do you hear something first? Do you touch? Mm-hmm. What happens? Yeah, what What's it? the first impulse? I tend to kind of not wait. And it's really, I think, um, Kenny Werner addresses these things really nicely um, and articulates these ideas much better than I can. But um, I, I personally, my approach is to, you know, you kind of lay your hands on a mm-hmm. chord. But the, the, the goal is to really not think about it. Yeah. And let it happen. And to, you know, again, thinking in terms of the spectrum, of both ends of the spectrum, playing, uh, you know, a, a Brahms intermezzo or some of the Brahms intermezzi, that requires a tremendous amount of skill and focus and concentration. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is, you know, and maybe in the middle of the spectrum is jazz, which has the structure but we have the ability to kind of move around it and and sort of wiggle around it and create these other things. And then the other end of the spectrum is is um, completely being free, yeah. which allows you the opportunity to release your ego and your consciousness, your higher level thinking consciousness. You know your mm-hmm. executive function in your brain, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you let this other thing kind of take over. And there's there's no right or wrong. There's yeah. no there's it just it is. And so when we play with the faculty, it's it's great. And George is I'm so happy that George is such a big proponent of it, um, and that everybody kind of 
everyone else is, you know, falls in line. Like, yeah, let's do a free piece on our faculty performance. Cool. Which and was one great. of the coolest things, by the way, the last yeah. faculty performance you guys did. Oh, the cool. free piece you started with. Yeah. Was so much fun to listen to. You know, I, I will say it's, oh. it's one of those things as a performer, I love playing free. I always question or wonder what the general oh, audience yeah. is mm. thinking. And I, yeah. and you're probably, again, thinking in terms of spectrum, you're probably on one end of the spectrum. It's like, right. Oh my God, this is so great. I know that there are folks out there who are like, what, you know, what, what the is hell that? is this? <laughs> yeah. What are they doing? They're just noodling around, you know? Yeah. And people think we're noodling mm. when we're playing, you know, our standards too. So mm. right. you play something completely free and they're like, what the, right. you know? <laughs> so, um, but it's a great thing. And, and, and I really got exposed to it when I went to the conservatory, doing the conservatory. Um, you'd walk into sessions, you know, you'd, you'd be with like, hey, let's, uh, let's meet at three in such and such a room. Let's do a session. Great. And you'd show up and there was almost like the, the communication was not verbal and direct. Like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, where'd you have lunch today? It was you'd walk into the room and these guys were already playing and I would put my bag down and just start playing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if they were playing a standard? Did this sound familiar? No, this doesn't sound, I think they're playing for, you know, and it, mm. and it makes you sharpen your, your listening skills that yeah. way. And yet it, at the same time, you're also releasing this energy of, is there a bridge? Am I playing a flat nine on this chord? Am I, yeah. you know, there's just no, you know, there are better choice. There maybe are better choices in a certain moment, but there's no, there's no wrong. And to let go of that is, is really cool, mm. you know, and, mm. and, and, and I think really important because there is so much, you know, we're working on all this material and like, oh, this is, no, this is not wrong or this yeah. is not right, it sounds wrong, I, mm-hmm. you know, and to get, to release all of that and just play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really anyone can do it. Um, when I was first turned on to it, I, it was described to me like this this one great instructor that I had would say, you know how little, you know, two-year-olds would walk up to a pan, piano and start banging away. And as parents, we admonish them for doing that. You know, don't, don't do that. You're going to ruin the piano or that's not real music. And mm-hmm. yet it's so pure in that yeah. moment to kind of bang away. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing that, that we're doing in our 20s, mm-hmm. 30s, 40s, 50s. It's like we're just playing. You're just yeah. creating sound. That's Well, you know, when I was like in <clears throat> 25 and I just moved here and I'd, I was actually living in an apartment in San Francisco, um, and I, I bought a Clavinova, mm-hmm. like a Yamaha Clavinova. Yeah. Back then, I remember it was $2,500. And, you know, it took me like seven years yeah. to pay it off, yeah, $58 yeah, yeah. a month. Um, right there with you. And I didn't have a bed yet, yeah. but I was able to get that, you know, um, with no yeah. money down. And yeah. I didn't have to pay anything on it for like five months or something. Wow. And, but anyway, but, um, you know, I, ha- I was struggling with a lot of depression mm-hmm. at the time and a lot of like emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And I... There was no support, okay? There was like nothing. And I was like making $4.36 an hour yeah. working in a pizza place, yeah. okay? So where, where were you living at the time? In San Francisco. San Francisco, yeah. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a, a building with, you know, apartment with five other people. Mm. And But I did have this Clavinova and mm-hmm. I had headphones. Mm-hmm. And so I would just do free play mm-hmm. um, for like two hours, yeah. like in the middle of the night. I had to do like that every single day yeah. for my sanity. And because I didn't have an understanding of mm-hmm. harmony, like how to create the sounds that I wanted and the beautiful things, what I did a lot was play with like a, I would have a rhythm mm-hmm. and I would repeat that rhythm even though it was totally disconnected mm-hmm. to, you know, any harmony that made sense. But um, I can't even tell you how much like I enjoyed, like I just needed that place 
of freedom to be able to express myself emotionally and and just um, it it helped me connect with myself and something bigger. Yeah, you know? something much it like, much deeper. It, it helped me with my sanity. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, but I remember just it's like I didn't. There was nobody listening. There was nothing yeah. in me that said that right. this had to be. Right. Sometimes I'd be frustrated because I like I want to hear this one sound that comes out and it didn't come out. But then okay, well I got to make do with what I just did. Right. And mm-hmm. so you just figure out you know it's just something else comes out of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's a good thing to explore, and and, mm-hmm. and and you know the free playing can come out in your straight ahead playing, um, and I think the, the the people that I the musicians that I really admire know how to weave in and out of that, and it's this kind of letting this moment of just sort of letting go, and if you, actually if you watch if you get a chance to watch some of these. Um, uh, master classes that Kenny Werner has online. He th- opens up by just sort of playing, mm-hmm. you know, freely at first, and um, and then talks about that process and what it does for him. And yeah. a lot of it is just kind of letting go of the mm-hmm. ego. And it's a hard place to get to if you just, you know, if you were to Daniel, just sit on your guitar and just right. kind of play. You know, the voices start to enter. Like, what are you doing? You, sh- you know, you should be practicing modes right <laughs> totally. now. But right, if you right. get to that totally. point where you just sit and you just wander, um, right. it's a really, it's a valuable, it's a valuable experience. It's a valuable thing to add yeah. to your, to your playing. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Daniel, maybe we can like do something sometime yeah, here. No, we should. You know, we like do some free yeah. stuff together. That'd be yeah. Good. Yeah. Even before the podcast, that'd be perfect. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, Good seriously. Idea. Get some freedom out. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. You're well. going to have to send this out to an editor and uh, <laughs> whittle this down to something more manageable. <laughs> something, well, you know, we kind of made a decision together about the podcast because we, we yeah. contemplated doing that and mm-hmm. keeping it an hour. And there's some people who really prefer to listen to the whole thing and mm-hmm. they want, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. Mm-hmm. But we decided to just kind of let it be organic mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, transparent and let people see into the process of doing totally. it yeah. and a real conversation. So, yeah. If it goes this long, I think yeah. it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway, well, thank you so much. Yeah. For My being pleasure. On our really, show. really fun hanging out with you guys. Totally, this has been delightful, yeah. Ken. Thank you thank again you. for coming all this way, spending oh. some time with us, yeah. talking about these important issues. <laughs> and we're gonna end with some free play. That's right. That's right. Okay. So thank you, listeners, <laughs> yeah. for tuning in, and till next time, we hope you enjoy some of your own uh, meaningful musical conversations. And uh, maybe get out there and have some free play in one way or another. Yeah, indeed. Good. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye.